everybody. Welcome to the Comp Day Podcast, the podcast supporting young professionals of color. I'm your host, Dre. Welcome again. This episode will be our activism roundtable, women of color edition. I'm not a woman of color, but I brought four of them. <laughs> and they have a lot to say. Um, but before we go into the episode, I wanted to share our employee of the day. Um, this is more... It's less of a celebration and more of an homage. Um, it's for um, a 28-year-old activist, woman of color from Columbus, um, the city of Columbus. Her name is Amber Evans. Um, she went missing for a month, and she her body was recently found. She has led for the People's Justice Project and all types of movements, and it's just a really... It's a tragedy to lose someone so young, so powerful, so outspoken, and just inspirational. So we don't. She, we hope she rests in power. We don't want her energy and her spirit and her drive to end with her life. We want this to continue with the lives that she affected. So you know, your her family's in our prayers, and we um, have nothing but respect for. Amber Evans. So keep that name in your minds and please just be supportive. Um, now to move towards a lighter note. Um, I brought um, four lovely women with me, um, women of color, and I am going to have them introduce themselves. I'm going to start with my vet right here on my right, on my le- on my right. Um, if you can say your name, um, how you identify culturally and ethnically, and what you do for a living. You don't have to say where you work, but you can say where you, what you do. Okay. So my name is Estefania Trujillo Preciado. Um, I'm an organizer at Flatbush Tenant Coalition in Brooklyn. Um, I identify as Latina, but I do recognize that I have light skin, and so I have privileges, and I think is important to recognize that, um, even to the people who are listening in, to always keep that in mind. Uh, my name is Omaima Khan. Um, I am an Egyptian, Kenyan, Pakistani, British, American, immigrant, Muslim activist. I work at a women's rights organization, but my background is in human rights and specifically combating Islamophobia. You got a lot of membership cards. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, my name is Marone Tabajay. Um, I'm a black, queer, Ethiopian woman with the X. Um, and I organize with BYP 100 New York City chapter. And I work at Freedom to Thrive, formerly known as Enlace. Hi, my name is Marilyn Mendoza Herrera. And I identify as Chicana, so Mexican-American, um, and I am a organizer, parent organizer with Make the Road New York. Welcome. You know, you're my first Chicana. Oh, so thank you. <laughs> thank you for being here today. <laughs> Breaking the mold here. <laughs> um, so let's start with what is activism? So you can go on Instagram, you can go on Facebook, all the blue check people have, they're an activist. Everyone, I feel like the word has been oversaturated. Everyone's an activist. But let's hear it from actually all of you who actually do this in your um, 24-7. So <laughs> any of you can start. What does activism mean to you and who is an activist? I can like start, I guess. Um, so I think there's a difference between being an activist and being an organizer. Um but, like, shout out to people who, like, do activist work, right? Like, I think um, I don't I, I don't identify as an activist. I identify more as an organizer because it's, like, the organizers do kind of, like, the back work of, like, say you go to a protest, the organizers are the one organizing it, making sure, like, you know, everything's aligned, you know, we're here for the same reasons and the same goals, and, like, who are we targeting? And I think activists are the one who show up and show out, right? And I think that um, I... I respect everyone's capacities because they look different, right? Like, I think that people live very real lives, especially in New York City. And so, like, I think it depends on someone's capacity and someone's, I guess, you know, passion behind the work. So my, like, kind of differentiation of activism and organizing, shall think. (laughs) (laughs) My definition, I think, is a little more broad. Um, I would probably define activism as just anything that 
engages communities and disrupts status quo or disrupts the norm, um, particularly when that norm comes at the expense of others. Um, so for me, I know that we're full-time activists, we're organizers, we organize the thing, you show up at the thing with the sign and the pictures and everything. Um, but I think that it like doesn't necessarily have to just be relegated to that. It can be something as simple as you know, a child in a school standing up for a, another kid who's marginalized, who's being bullied, or even um, confronting your parents for making, you know, racist comments or whatever, knowing that they're supporting you and that it could get you in trouble. Just anything, I think, that um, sort of dis disrupts what we determine to be normal, um, and particularly when it's at the expense of marginalized communities. It's pretty. It's a pretty broad definition, but going back to the capacity thing, um, you know, I understand that not everybody has the means to be able to come out. And people, some people live in rural spaces. Some people cannot literally, um, you know, have accessibility issues and that sort of thing. So, I think that the more that we broaden that definition, a little less afraid people might be to get engaged and engage the people around them. So I think. Um, like there is a difference in activism and organizing like you were mentioning organizing it's more of you're doing the back work and you know you're building power you're um, building the capacity for the organization and for the groups of people that you're working as alongside with and then activism you know it could be different things um, but like you were mentioning it can be different things it could be you know for Amazon or it could be um, you know for other reasons, so um, there is, like, a difference. Yeah, um, I also, like, don't identify, well, I think I'm a little bit of both. Um, for me, organizing is doing all the, the backbone um, building of an organization of, like, bringing communities together, um, leadership development, and um, doing all the little tasks of, like, photocopies and translating, um, and then activism is something that I feel like you do in your free time um, that you're not getting paid for. Um, like, I consider myself, like, an animal activist. Um, so in my free time, I'm out there rescuing homeless kittens and homeless dogs. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So just to envelop more on what you said on Marilyn, um, just to share... What type of organize? Because you're all organizers. What is your specification, or do you have specific um, background in certain things? So I guess not every organizer is the same. Um, what's your each of your backgrounds as organizers, and kind of a little bit of how you got into the specific background? Because I don't think anybody. And tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone is a kid and says, "I want to be an organizer." I don't think that's something that comes to people's minds right away. It's something that you kind of fall into, for, unless you had parents that were in the movement, but. Yeah, um, I'm very curious if you can share like what your organizing background has been and how you got into it. Um, so I don't know where to start. Um, I think growing up, I'm the oldest daughter of immigrant parents. Um, so I grew up being their lawyer, their secretary, their interpreter. Um, I was doing all these things. Um, and I think the moment the internet became accessible to folks, my dad got us a computer and I had access to internet. So whenever he had questions or whatever, I still remember going on to ask Jeeves <laughs> to find <laughs> out, like, what were his rights at work? Um, mm. And then it was always about helping my community because I knew I had a sense of privilege that um, being born in this country... Um, was something special and um being bilingual was something also that like not everyone was had that opportunity um so from there when i you know i went to college majored as a um, history major and then i had no idea what i wanted to do with my life and one of my neighbors told me about a organization that I was working with different communities of faith in organizing. And I was like, what is organizing? <laughs> what is that? Um, and so they gave, they introduced me into like the organizing world. Um, and I got an internship with them and I started learning about building people power. And for a long time, I thought 
that like protests just happen out of thin air. Um, and I started enjoying this work because I started building relationships with people. And I got a sense of satisfaction whenever someone asked for help and like I could do that little task for them that seemed like huge. But for me, it was like something so simple as like calling 311 and finding out what resources there are. Um, and so now I'm doing a fellowship with Make the Road New York where I've been working with parents and education. So we've been fighting for um, school funding that's been owed for like the past 10 plus years. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's how I got into like the organizing world. That's what's up. <laughs> Anyone else want to jump in about kind of what your specification is and how you got into it? Um, well, there is one thing that I do want to note, I think, just about activism in general and becoming an activist. I think that for a lot of us, um, for people of, co people of color, marginalized communities, um, activism is work that we do, not just we've made a career of it, but it's a survival tactic. And um, for me, I think my whole life has pretty much shaped me to do this type of work because in being an activist, I was literally advocating for my survival and my humanity um, and that of my community as well. And so it is something that wasn't necessarily I chose that I wanted to do this. It's like we have to do this because we have to liberate ourselves and each other. Um, and I think a lot of us can, can really relate to that idea. I personally came into, into it, um, I was an event planner before, like randomly, uh, which really does work well with organizing, thankfully. Um, and I made that link, actually, one of your previous guests was the person, uh, you can shout her out. Suhail, <laughs> Suhail, hey girl, um, she actually gave me my big break when I interned with her at her organization, um, and which, you know, expanded my network and, and led me down that road. And what is your specification of organizing? What do you mean? Yeah. Like what um, What type of um, rights do you fight for? Oh, so, uh, <laughs> oh, gotcha. Um, I've done, at Sue Hill's organization, we did, you know, pretty large-scale, like, human rights conferences. It was a human rights organization that was sort of all-encompassing. So we did trainings. We did, um, you know, regional conferences. We did regular, um, like, a big conference. And then uh, it was at, when I worked at my previous job, Sorry, at my current job, uh, which is a really large women's rights or um, organization, we do marches and protests and rallies and everything in between. So. Nice. Um, so for me, um, so I was born in Colombia, and my parent, both of my parents are deaf. So since I was really young, like Marilyn was saying, like she had to be the lawyer, I had to do pretty much everything like I had to be their voice and it wasn't something that I had to choose it was just it was just like a survival like you were mentioning and so um and so I noticed how you know my parents um you know all of us coming here and having to go through like all these obstacles um especially for my parents who are deaf and who you know they wouldn't give them jobs just because they were deaf I think it made me want to do organizing to let people know what their rights are um and i started after college i did americorps vista um, in upstate new york and now i'm doing organizing and housing um because my parents well while i was doing this my parents lost their home um and so you know it made me want to do this more um so that you know we're able to one know our rights also to stop evictions, you know, because of gentrification and everything that's happen happening, not only in New York City, but throughout the country. Um, and so it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of been like I had to do this my whole, my whole life. It's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I got, um, my father was an activist, so my parents are both from Ethiopia, and my dad has been an activist all his life. Um, he still does political activism from here. <laughs> um, so I grew up getting really politicized by my father. And when I got to college, I started doing, like, food justice, housing justice work. And then I ended up in, like, um, doing advocacy for communities who were experiencing um, police violence. Um, yeah, and then I started to, I, like, I've done a lot of different things. Uh, 
But like, then I do like student organizing on campus for like diversity and inclusion stuff. Um, but yeah, and then when I came to New York City, I really wanted to organize with black folks and organize for black community specifically. Um, and I wanted to be an org that was like radical and doing like, you know, like community building, um, advocacy, and like, you know, building power. Um, so yeah, I'm now I'm with BYP 100. I do, um, I would, we do like, our lens is like the black queer feminist lens. So we look at all issues and all things through like understanding who's the most marginalized and like who do we center and how do we move the work um, collectively and responsibly. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I just started with Freedom to Thrive and like, you know, I'm an, I like ID as an abolitionist in all ways <laughs> and abolition means changing all systems. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's what I want to like center. I center black folks, I center queer folks. I center burning down prisons in the state. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, it's really great to be around people who, like, have similar visions and um, for our futures, you know. Basically the granddaughters of R.J. Lard. <laughs> my auntie. <laughs> Her best vision came true. Um, so, basically, what you all have shared is that, like you mentioned before, this is a survival um, tactic, Um and similar to how Amber Evans, when you're a woman of color, especially in the United States, by default, your body is politicized. There is no people saying like, oh, I don't really have to care about politics or I don't really want to hear about politics. It's like, well, if you're a woman of color, first of all, if you're a person of color in general, but you're in a woman of color, that's not an option. You don't get to turn that off because every policy has something to do with either dismantling your access and mobility and your agency mm-hmm. or opens it up. There is no there is no gray area for um, women of color. It's either black or white. And it's kind of hard to explain to folks. So the there's a publication called The Conversation, and they did a 2017 um, report on a pool of different um, activists that were starting, and the pool was taken from the Women's March and the People's Climate March. And essentially all the a quarter of the respondents were people of color. I was not able to gain how many of the respondents were um, women versus men or how they identified gender-wise. However, um, a quarter were women of color, well, people of color. So in the industry, um, are you seeing a fair proportion of women of color? Are you not seeing a fair proportion? What is your, like, kind of your personal um, perspectives on what you've been experiencing? So, oh my God, um, it's just funny because I was talking about this before I came. Um, for I'm not gonna say which campaign, but there's like you know housing campaigns where um, white women are leading you know these housing campaigns, and I don't know. I just think it's very interesting because one like you know they have privilege. Um, and they don't really make space for, you know, other people, like, especially like black women, you know, or yeah, the black women who are organizers and but because black women are the, are being displaced the most in throughout America and probably the world. And so like, why does it have to be a white woman like leading this campaign? Like there's so many other organizers who can take that position and then you know they're making double or triple what organizers are making um and then they want more money um (laughs) and then um yeah and they're just taking up too much space and and so i think that's why i always mention just be knowledgeable of like your privilege and being careful of how much space you take um especially when you know there's black and brown women who are experiencing this the most okay yeah, um, I agree. Like, I think that when, like, things are, things affect women of color and, you know, uh, trans women at the margins the most. Um, and I think that, like, I think about this a lot, like, who's in the room and when we're organizing these things and who has, like, um, like I was saying earlier, like, capacity and accessibility to these spaces. Um, because I organize with black folks mostly, like, I've been around, like, black people. <laughs> but when I get in the room with coalitions, it's largely white folks, largely white women. 
um, largely able-bodied people, largely cis-bodied people. Um, So, you know, there's, there's a campaign right now that I'm thinking about. And, you know, there wasn't that many, there was, I think I was the only black person in the room and maybe one other person and, and there was a few people of color, but it was like 50 people. And it's wild that like, you know, New York City, the makeup of our, of our communities are largely people of color. But then like you get into these rooms where like people are like, quote unquote, making decisions like for our communities, but like representation isn't there. And, but like, you also have to understand that like, who can come? Like, who has the who has the means to come, right? Like, and who has the access to come? And so, like, I'm thinking. I always think about like how to make spaces more accessible, and like how to to build, you know, leadership. If it's not, you know, it has to be like leader. Like, it has to be led by the most effective people. Like, you know. Um. So I think I've had like a different experience. Um, especially in the education world. Um, so I work with a city coalition and a state coalition, and the organizers are women of color. Um, and when we do events, it's the women of color, the mothers who show up to these events. Um, so I think in that sense, I feel fortunate to be working with like some really dope ass black women and brown women and like it's just inspiring to see them out there fighting um because you know it's it's fighting for their children um which is something else that I'm I'm realizing that like most of our folks who come out to these events are mothers um and so it's like, well, where are the fathers? And, well, they're probably working. Um, so, like, seeing that a lot of these movements are being led by women. Um, but we just got to keep uplifting our women of color. That sort of progress. So, um, so Marilyn, you explained that women of color are coming together, supporting one another. Um, specifically motherhood as the um, foundation for that camaraderie. I can't say the damn word. (laughs) Um, But in other circumstances, what you said, Estefania, is that white women are leading or taking up more space than they probably should for an issue that affects women of color, specifically black women, and vice versa, Mayron, and vice versa, um, Omaima. And do you feel like, um, it sounds like, tell me if I'm not I'm from wrong, consensus that maybe white women are not showing up for women of color the way they should be in the different, in the general movements um, overall. Um, but how, how are you seeing, are white women showing up for y'all? Are other women of color coming together? Are men of color coming together? Are you running into hoteps? Um, I'm not. I'm not even going to ask you if white men are coming. Um, to, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. And there's going to be white men like, how could you say that? It's like, we wouldn't have these problems had y'all been coming out for right. us in the first place, but y'all don't. That's why we have all these damn issues. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> had y'all thought about the community, we wouldn't be in the fucking place we are in today. Yeah. But that's my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, do you feel like men of color and white women, and in general, are women of color coming together, or are they? Is it a divided, also um, fragmented group as well? Broad question. Um, Here's how I feel about white women and allyship. Also the name of my future book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. I think it's just a simple fact that people are receptive to hearing things from people who look like them, who sound like them, who share a background. And I think that's where allies come in um, and where allyship comes in. And I think it's important specifically for our white allies because they are the ones that are going back. It is their responsibility to go back to the community that is literally oppressing us and telling our story to them. Um, and so I'm not I'm not a believer in that, like, you know, we shouldn't make space for allies or blah, blah, blah. I have no qualms with people who don't believe that. Um, but, you know, if you're going to be an ally, you also need to know how to act. And <laughs> that includes, mm-hmm. you know, you can't be an ally if you're not willing to be open to critique, you're not willing to be called out by people of color or marginalized people, um, because you really, if you're not willing to do that, you have no business calling yourself an ally. 
Um, you also can't do it in order to think that you can get a pass to appropriate some of our stuff just because you think that you come out for us and you show out for us and that your friends are this, that, and the other thing. Again, you have no, you have no place calling yourself an ally. And most importantly, you can't do it when it's just convenient and when it's just comfortable for you to do so. Um, because that is enacting whiteness and that is only hurting us further. So, you know, you, you can't call yourself an ally and then, you know, not talk back to your racist uncle just because, like, mom's going to get mad at the Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, turn your face and pretend like you didn't hear some fellow white person say the N-word or, or anything like that. You know, it's it's super important for you to show out for us. And it's especially... Uh, poignant for me because, you know, two weeks ago, exactly two weeks ago, um, a white shooter took a semi-automatic rifle um, into a mosque and slaughtered 50 men, women, and Muslim children, and he was entirely motivated by white supremacy. Um, and I think that this is something that we can no longer ignore, and I think for white people and for our allies, they need to know that um, black and brown people are literally dying for their comfort, and we're done doing that and um we need them literally for that for that survival as messed up as it is and um i believe that for that shooter that situation every single person who turned the other cheek to see the warning sign has the blood on their hands of 50 of my brothers and sisters um and yeah so i just i just really need people to show up because right now it's actually life or death for us so that was such a tragedy, and it should have been covered way more than it was. Yeah, yeah. And my and that shooter is one of many, and my community is one of many that are bonded in that pain, and it's messed up. Y'all mad quiet. Yeah, <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I, I took it there. Right, so. no, no, like, take it there. Um, I think, like, I spend so much time thinking about whiteness, and it like I'm like, oh god, like, like I just spent a week at like Greenpeace training in Florida. Greenpeace is like an environmental organization, largely white led, you know, and like this training really pulled pulled out, you know, the largest number of people of color, I think, and indigenous folks, in to date, right? Like during this training, and they've had it every year, and I think like. Um, this past week I've just like been dealing with a lot of like that was like a lot of like teaching and I'm really kind of over teaching white folks like right like you were saying like if you're not doing the work to educate yourself then you're not an ally if you're not doing the work to like directly confront your your pe your peoples like like white people need to get their people like that's a fact like I'm, I'm like people of color are not here to do that work like that's exhausting and like we had in our own communities, you know, like we have to do work, like you were, like y'all were saying, like, you know, our communities are divided, right? Like, and I think of like there's racism and then there's anti-blackness, right? And like, anti-blackness is deep, and like I, I'm like I gotta deal with anti-blackness. I'm not trying to deal with this right now. <laughs> um, and like confronting all the levels of like, um, yeah, like I'm just thinking, how do we? Like, allyship, there's, like, this really dope zine, so um, it's called a, a, Accomplice Over Allyship or Versus Allyship or something like that, and it, like, talks about, you know, what is, like, like forget allyship, I want you to be my accomplice, like, I want you to, like, throw down with me and do the work with me, um, but if you're not checking yourself and your privilege in spaces that you share with people of color, then, you know, like, that's whack <laughs> and I'm not with that um I think you know we did, we also did it like an, an there was okay so last summer in Flatbush um a, a grandmother a black woman and her granddaughter were at a nail shop in Flatbush and like in the nail shop was owned by Asian folks um and it and I think she didn't like the way her eyebrows looked or something, didn't pay $5 or something like that. She ended up getting, like, a, like, I don't know, acetone thrown on her. They beat her with brooms, like, and, like, pushed them out of this shop, right? And, like, like we got to think about, like, anti-blackness is deep. And when we showed out, like, to be what BYP 100 folks came, it was, like, five black women and black men 
took the mic from a black woman <laughs> at this like show, like rally, and it's like, ho- like the hotepery is real, right? Like, and like, how do you? We had to like deal with people calling us um, infiltrators, like black folks. So like, it's like levels, right? Like, there's Asian folks doing anti-black shit to black women, and then we go to this rally to support the community, and then. Black people are like, oh, no. And I lived down the street from that nail shop. So, like, it's just, like, levels to, like, how do we... We always have to deal with these things. So, like, my thing is, like, when white like white supremacy and all that shit is, the, like, yeah, the center of all that, right? But it's also, like, I want people to, like, address anti-blackness and, like, within... And, like, like, gender dynamics and, like put black femmes to the front like always <laughs> also for those who don't know what a hotep is i'm not going to really go that in because this episode to be honest is not really for first of all the whole show is not really for white people to begin with <laughs> if you tune in that's perfect but this show is for young professionals of color um that's the main base that's the reason why this exists hoteps for those who want to know um i'm not going to go into every detail but the main thing is that it's usually a very ill-informed man of color specifically a black man who has not accurate information about their background and specifically thinks that women are subservient to them and women are only valuable when supporting them, men, black men specifically. And if black women do anything outside of the comfort of black men, the black women should be demonized. So if you really want to learn more, um, Dear White People on Netflix has a whole episode explaining what hoteps are. You can just Google it, H-O-T-E-P. Um, so we're we're gonna leave those people alone for now, um, or not give them any more glory. But yeah, that's crazy that a black man took the mic from a black woman. Right. Yeah, and then we were like, give black women the mic. It was just wild, whatever. <laughs> but like, and also like recognizing that the word hotep is from is an it's from an ancient Kemetic language in Egypt, right? And hotep actually means peace. Like, so when you wow. say hotep, it means like it's like a a greeting. So like. <laughs> Also, like, I have trouble saying that because, like, that's, like, ancestral, right, to, like, but also, like, dang, y'all need to, like, really, really stop. But <laughs> stop. So I'm thinking of, so people in leadership, the, the white women who are in le- leadership and how they take up space and they don't take criticism um, and, you know, you know, in the housing movement, right, the tenants are the ones that are leading these campaigns, you know, and I've noticed how a lot of the tenants um, of color feel like they're not being heard from, um, from these um, leaders. Um, and it makes me think of one white woman who I really love. Um, her name is Susanna, and she um, she does a lot of leadership development training um, in one under you know learning about anti blackness, colorism, um, and also. Um, how can we build power, specifically people of color, black and people of color? Um, and, you know, she's done a lot of work in the housing movement, but she she's always, she doesn't want to be the person leading this. Like, she wants other people to learn and to take leadership. And I think we need more people um, like that who are allies and that are supporting the movement. Um, and then I also think of, you know, the tenants that we work with, you know, that, um, you know, black and brown people, but then we'll have like a few uh, white people that want to be a part of the tenant association or a campaign where at some point you will start talking about anti-blackness and police brutality and, um, you know, white women will start crying in the meeting and then we have to stop the whole meeting to make them feel better. Um, and that's just not acceptable. Um <laughs> <laughs> and so it's yeah so I feel like we need to do a lot of work on that too just because you cannot come to these meetings where we're talking about people you know being evicted and we're trying to take care of your feelings this is not time for that and like you were mentioning like you need to get educated and stop feel, you know that stop crying and stop feeling attacked you know just learn and recognize you know the privileges that you have um, and stop taking up space. Um, and then we have, you know, tenants of color who are against other tenants of color based on the fact that they have accents and you can't really understand what they're saying. 
um, you know, and that's something that also then needs to be talked about because that's something that I'm experiencing right now. Um, and, you know, how do we have those conversations where you don't have to be um, speak the the tenants that um, that you need to speak like well British English or oh, something like, like in a in a quote unquote United States or British dialect. Yeah, they have a problem with non English and dialects that are outside of those two yeah. dialects, which is very inherently racist. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> and you know, it's like in press conference, everyone should be up in the front and talking and sharing, you know, their concerns and why they want to organize and why they want to confront, you know, these systems that keep people in this cycle um, of homelessness, you know. And so that's like another thing that we experience in the housing movement. The level of triggered I felt when you said that white lady was crying and they had to stop the whole meeting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. White tears, the one it, of the hugest phenomena, specifically from white women. White, it's not about you. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> right. There are so I, okay. I want people to hear this. There are so Amanda Seale says this perfectly. There are white people, and then people who happen to be white. And we're not talking about your culture. We're not talking about the fact that you're Irish, um, British, German, whatever background you have. It specifically has to do with white. When we say whiteness, it specifically means the seat of power that you have based on what you have been born into in our universal system. Um, you have n- whiteness was not always in power, but for, since colonialism, it has been. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're working on because this is the mess we all have been put into. But there's a part. It's not your fault, but that's where you were placed. And we were placed lower in the totem pole. So because of that, when we talk about whiteness, we mean that you see your physical appearance and what you represent puts you in a position of power. So when you start crying, we don't have time for it. Especially white women, we don't have time for it. Um, it just really, really sets us back. Um, please keep the white tears to yourself. Or just excuse yourself and go to the bathroom. Um, it's just not something we need. But <laughs> um, before we start to the next um, phase, Marilyn, do you have any um, thing you want to say about maybe like um, white women, not whether if they if they are supporting the movement you're in, or are they not? Or men of color, or men of color supporting the movement you're in, or are they not? Um. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I guess when I started doing all this organizing work, uh, maybe because like make the road is like has so many folks of color in the organizing world that like when we do have allies, like we have some really nice white men um, <laughs> who are doing all that like they're using the privilege to get into spaces where people of color wouldn't be allowed to um like for example we've had this backers of hate campaign where essentially we're push- we've been pushing chase um to stop fund stop funding and investing in private prisons and detention centers um and so we had this one guy walk into a meeting a shareholders meeting and no one questioned him because um, he looked like the rest of rest of these white folks. Um, so he was able to disrupt that space um, and give us time to like form an action outside. Um, but definitely I've also like in the education world, we have Robert Jackson. Like he was like one of the, the leaders um, in fighting for funding for schools. Um, but he he's always you know acknowledging the work of all these other women um who are doing really nice work like he he's just amazing like he knows when to like step back um but i think something that we don't discuss a lot is about like the anti-blackness in our communities um and the colorism cuz that's something that i have been seeing in the organizing world um when folks of color do organize. Colorism is a bitch. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Another book title. Colorism (laughs) is a bitch. That'd be good. So I'm going to go there. Okay, as a fundraiser, 
I understand that we raise the money for a lot of the work that happens and we get well compensated because of that. And sometimes we're not. But one issue I greatly have with the entire industry from what I've seen anecdotally in my experience is that people who actually are on the front lines are not being paid properly. So I'm going to ask y'all. Are y'all being paid right? <laughs> and if no. they're not. No. 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 Um, I'm going to say debatable. I'm actually like in a really good place right now financially. Like this is the best place I've been in all of my life. Which is funny because like, yeah, it's a t- being an organized. I, I also, wait, let me think. I just got this job full time. But I also <laughs> organize outside of my job. And my job is communications. Um, and like, yeah, definitely people don't get paid at all. Like, and yo, this is the first time I've had like health, like full coverage health benefits. That's one thing. Why are they not giving people health care? Listen, that's not like, that's hella uncommon. People don't get health care. People don't get benefits. Wild. It's wild. It's okay if you don't want to share, Marilyn. Oh, no, I can share. I've been very vocal about this. Um, And at this point, I don't give a damn. Mm, Um, Say it. Because it's like you're doing the work in your community. You're from that community. You're fighting for for respect, dignity, for uplifting the voices of our people. Yet you're using us to, like, do that work. Like, I'm doing a fellowship, and I'm getting paid $800 $800 every two weeks and my coworkers are making triple double that and like I'm doing the same work as them and it's like I'm only doing this because I love my community and because I have my husband who supports me financially like he's the one that like has given me this opportunity to keep working and like gaining experience but it's just like fuck like mm-hmm. I feel like I went to college to, like, become independent, and here I am depending on a man to do the work I love. Um, And it hurts a lot. Like, it gets to you after a while when you're, like, out there working day and night for all these things. Um, And you just come home and you're just like, shit. Mm. I don't even have $2 to my name. Um, Like... Thankfully, I have health insurance because, like, I qualify for Medicaid. But there's a folk out there who don't have health coverage. And, like, I need my health insurance. Like, that shit is, like, there's been times where I'm, like, well, it's better than nothing. I mean, at least I have health insurance. Um, So I'll keep doing the work. But it's not fair. It's not. It's not fair. And I'm speaking up for Every fundraiser who's listened to this motherfucking episode, <laughs> I'm telling you as somebody who does the job better than half of y'all. Fact. If you don't speak up for your colleagues who are the reason why we have fucking jobs, fuck you. And and also to the HR people who don't also speak up, fuck you. The communications people who are putting stuff out and benefiting, fuck you. And the EDs and presidents and CEOs and leadership teams that are benefiting on the backs of mm-hmm. organizers and people on the front lines mm-hmm. and program associates and program workers. Fuck you. So y'all <laughs> all need to collectively get your shit together because the industry is literally becoming it's it's been a nasty place, but it's coming nastier. Um and nonprofit, everyone needs to know, it's just as nasty as corporate. Oh yeah. There is no fucking difference. Worse. Oh yeah. It's, it's worse. if anything is worse, yeah, it yes. is worse. <laughs> like it's I'm nasty. I'm gonna sell my soul. I'm ready. Nonprofit industrial (laughs) complex is real. I mean, I think one thing that's important to remember. um, Well, one, I'm so sorry to hear that about you and your situation, and and, um, I think it's really important what you said. Like, we're doing the work of our community. Like, we're doing liberation work. I don't understand why this type of work is not as valued in our society as like you know, like we don't like the article you sent us. Like, we don't bat an eye when a celebrity goes out there and is like whatever has a fit tea or whatever garbage and they make so much money like why are we at the bottom and we're doing the work that is trying to liberate all of us and we're like working for nothing and i think specifically with nonprofits, they still operate under capitalist systems Mm -hmm. which are still oppressive um and we already have an inherent wage gap in which 
women, women of color specifically, you know, the gap is, is huge. Um, and then in these nonprofits, then there's boards and there's EDs that are predominantly made up of white people, white men and women who are making the decisions and they're doing it off the backs of, you know, predominantly the administrative workers and the program workers who are people of color. Like we need to not only address that, but we need to make tangible steps to make sure that that's not happening. Because like you said, like in some ways it's worse. Like I'd rather be at a corporate place where they tell me, yeah, you ain't shit. You don't matter. But like we're doing all this talk and we like so much talk about this, that and the other thing. But like nobody's walking the walk. Well, what boils my blood more? This is the thing. I, 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 I expect certain behaviors from white people. <laughs> Not that white people are evil or bad. I just as a growing up as a black man, especially a gay black man in America, there's just certain behaviors I, I expect from white men. Um, just be culturally, because y'all don't have certain, it's just not ingrained in y'all, or someone doesn't sit down to you to explain you how to behave. And you also don't get spankings. <clears throat> so, um, but when I see a person of color <laughs> exploiting other people of color, so the Uncle Toms and Aunt Tabithas, in the name of, um, in the name of people of color, um, brown people black liberation in the name of other people of color and then they sit here have high ass salaries and then fucking do their people dirty i just my boy my blood boils more because it's like you live my experience and you're doing us dirty you're like a nasty member of the family i hope you don't get invited to to any more events or any more picnics or any more gatherings and you're not invited to the fish fry anymore like i just feel my blood boils but let me say i'm inserting myself way too much as a man right now in this conversation let me shut my ass up but yeah anyone else have anything to say about kind of the compensation that's the disparity yeah no i do not get paid enough and i think for like you know as a you know, with my parents, like we came here, um, you know, I'm still supporting them in a way. And so with my income, so um, it's like it's it's not enough. And so and I think with organizing, you know, you're working, you know, in the community, but then, you know, you still have issues at home, um, you know, related to housing and it's stressful and it affects you mentally, spiritually, physically. And it's just not enough money, you know, and also with mental health, like I need to go see a therapist, but it I can't afford it with the insurance that I have. Um, and it's just I don't have enough money for that and to also support um, my family as well. Um, and, you know, with these grants that nonprofit gets you know there's like a certain number that you have to meet um and if you don't meet that then you're in trouble and you know for me I've been doing this I actually counted the years that I've been doing organizing and it's almost 10 years and it just makes me think um is this enough for me because I feel like you know my mental health is being affected by this is this worth it you know if you know they don't see me and my coworkers as valuable you know and and I think that's why there's such a high turnover in these, you know, in the organizing world because it's just not enough and, you know, makes me question again, like, is this worth it to kill myself when I'm not even okay right now and I have to go and organize as well, so. Yeah, like, oh, my God, everything you just said. Also, like, supporting family is, like, so real. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, always, like, what like now I'm thinking like what is enough like actually like on my on what I get paid I can't I'm paycheck to paycheck still but um right like supporting family and like how do we advocate for ourselves to get paid more right like it's it's very rare when organizations like really value their workers and also like give credit where credit's due um because even with like even with, like, the divestment work that Make the Road started, like, that that work started 10 years ago by people of color, right? So, like, like we have to think about, like, the work starts with us, and, like, we need to, like, adv- how do we advocate for ourselves? Um, or, like, fuck this. Like, we build our own shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like the, um, it, it's so difficult to think about, like, what is enough? And, like, mental health is so real. Like, 
because like even when we're not working we're like still thinking about mm-hmm. this shit like i'm like i'll be at home and be like someone should be paying me right now <laughs> like like it's wild because our that like being an organizer your brain doesn't turn off like this is like things that affect us outside of like work right like so what is enough you know yeah i mean the work is heavy the work is emotional for some of us um we have large groups of people that turn to us for support, for information. Like, hey, what's going on? Where can we go? What do we do now? And it's like, you know, mental health is so important, specifically for people in our positions. And compensation is very, like, heavily tied into that. I just don't, I just for the life of me don't understand, like, why this is not, um, like, why we're just so undervalued. And I know a lot of it is because we're people of color, obviously, but. Um, like you said, I think it might be up to us to really, and we've had this conversation before as well, these nonprofits that operate in these toxic systems, like maybe we're the generation to undo it. We better be because mental health is really not being addressed mm-hmm. <coughs> at all. Yeah, that's facts. Um, like I've had conversations with folks who are like, well, when I was doing this work, I had it worse. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, you had it worse, but that's why you should be fighting to make it better for the future generations. Like, if I'm out here putting my head on the line, talking about my experience, I want it, I'm doing it because I want the next organizer to do better than me. Um, Because I don't want them to go through what I'm going through. And, like, that whole mental health thing, it's, like, it's so important in our field. Like, we're out here hearing stories from people. We're living these experiences ourselves. Um, we've de- we're dealing with our own trauma and then dealing with other people's trauma too. Um, it's not just mobilizing folks to events. It's being like therapists for them because um, you build these relationships and they learn to trust you. And so they start telling you all these things and you're just like, oh my God, I didn't want to know all this, but here I am listening to your story. That's all I have to do, listening. Um, and I think that if we want to keep doing this work, if we want to, um, if we want to prevent tragedies of suicide in the organizing world, we need to put mental health at the forefront of everything. Definitely. And I think it's important for a lot of us to remember that some of us come into this work because we come from places of trauma Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that either we've experienced or the people that we love have experienced or our communities have experienced. Um, And I think it's so important that we just treat each other so gently when it comes to that um, and just create space for each other. So this like specifically hits home for me because, you know, two weeks ago was Christchurch and it was very, like, I had a very difficult time, and I needed literally days to recover. Um, and I was mm. lucky enough that I that I had, you know, the support of my colleagues and of my friends and of my family to be able to do that and to be able to grieve in that way. But also understanding that, like, we're not a monolithic community. We have shared things, but even people react to trauma differently. Um, and just really understanding that. So, like, for example, some of my Muslim colleagues, they're reaction their coping mechanism was to dive head into like head first into the organizing and here's what we do next and here like here's this that and the other thing and I was just like I literally can't even breathe um and I think just like really really treating each other with such respect and with just openness and honesty and uh, creating that space for each other where we can if no one else is going to do it if our employer is not going to value that we need mental health you know just at the very least like not creating such a toxic system for each other like what your colleague said about i had it work like that's hor- that's a horrible thing to say and it's also such a capitalist thing to say mm-hmm. to be like well i had it worse which meant that i was more productive than you and i you know like all the all this like you know all the insinuation of that like that's not how we want to be working that's mm-hmm. what's passed down to us but we really really need to work to break that cycle i definitely want to Thank you all for sharing your truths. And I want to ask you a concluding question for folks um, that are in the movements, that are not in the movements, that want to find a way to get involved. Um, um, just And also women of color who are experiencing the same pains, trials, tribulations, and victories that you all are going through. Um, what is one thing you want folks to leave with? The first thing that comes to mind, whether it's something that they should do to support women of color in the movement or something you want to tell other women of color in the movement. 
have my answer already. You go ahead. <laughs> dive right in. Um, I think particularly for the work that I do, we're working so hard to build this intersectional movement and blah, blah, blah. We're creating a table where you know people are coming, um, all different types of backgrounds. I think for me, what's most important, um, I am South Asian, I am Arab, I am a Muslim. Yes, I'm coming to that table. I'm bringing my community with me, but I'm also bringing the biases that I have and the biases that I bring um, from my community and from my upbringing. You know, we have, we have anti-blackness. We have homophobia, we have misogyny, we have white supremacy, we have anti-Semitism even. Um, and so I think that it's really important that we do have this shared collective identity in being women of color, but also, like I said, understanding that we're not monolithic in that. Um, and that my responsibility is to learn from my peers and take those lessons back to my peoples. Specifically because um, South Asians and Muslims and Arabs you know, we do ac academically and economically, we do pretty well in these systems, um, m much better than some of our more marginalized people. And so I can't wash my hands of that just because, like, oh, I'm an activist. Like, it's still my responsibility. And particularly when we owe our existence here to black and indigenous people. So, like, stop pretending like they don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Omaima. go dive right in don't worry um yeah so um i definitely think that like i think uh, about how uh all of our liberations are intertwined and i think that if other folks aren't free i'm not free and like i think of all the communities and like how many like how many ways in which we're fighting to like get free um and obviously, like, I always want to center black liberation, you know, like, and my people, and I always will do that. And I think, like, I, if people want to, you know, I always want people to get involved. I also want to be like, you know, take care of yourself um, first, take care of your communities. Um, but also, like, if you, if you don't see something happening and you want to see something change, like, you know, like, really get involved, like, push your... Like, don't push no bullshit, but, like, push push this freedom, right? Like, and, like, like Im imagination is so important in liberation. And, like, and I always say, like, uh, we're, like, I'm always fighting for our collective futures. Like, I don't think all of our futures look the same. And I think that, like, collectively we can get there. Um, we just have to move that um, intentionally and with love and, like, really, like, centering joy. I think that... Um, if I'm not dancing <laughs> in the future, you know, what is, like, what does that mean? Like, and, and, um, yeah, like, I think leading everything with love and, um, and, you know, burning down a state, etc. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mayra. So, um, I'm just thinking about, you know, I love organizing and I think it's, it's, it's great, um, but you definitely like taking care of yourself because I feel like um, with me and my peers, you know, we tend to kind of put that aside. And I think just really just being knowledgeable of um, how you're feeling and taking care of yourself and um, reaching out to your employer. I know not every employer is the same, but I'm grateful that you know, for my job, I'm able to go and like, if I need a mental health day, like they'll give me a mental health day, but just really advocating for yourself and for your fellow organizers. Um, and, you know, that could be with mental health or um, maybe starting a union, you know, to, you know, for organizers, because um, I feel like that's very important. Um, but I think also um, with organizing, like you guys were mentioning, there's a lot of anti-blackness, colorism. Um, classism and just all these different things and I think just keeping it keeping that as part of the conversation to fight against that um, so that we can all work collectively and build um, power to fight against all of the systems that we're experiencing um, but just always keeping mind to take care of yourself because if you're not taking care of yourself you're not going to be able to to do the work so thank you Estefania yeah definitely um I think what I love about this job, about doing organizing, is listening to others, hearing the stories, and sharing stories. 
Um, I think that's the only way we're going to move forward is if people from like diverse backgrounds just sit there and like they share their story um, because we have so much in common um, and also take care of yourself. Like it's so important to care for yourself. It's like self-care has become like this big capitalistic mm -hmm. thing. But at the end of the day, it's just taking five minutes, at least a few minutes of your time to just breathe and like, really center yourself um and i guess it's just it's gonna get better i have hope that things are gonna get better um i've met some amazing folks out there um who are doing so much for the community and yeah like it's just gonna get better and i'm hopeful thank you so much marilyn I want to thank um, the four of you for your time, um, your energy, and foremost your proverbs that you've shared with um, the world today. And I really do appreciate this moment. So thank you all for being here. So you've heard it from four fierce women of color. Take that with you all. We're going to clock out. Bye. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. Thank you.